What is up, guys? Just finished editing the podcast with Nathan Yola. Had an epic chat about human nature, mythology, and how we can use mythology in our everyday lives. Um, the nature of human nature um, and the power that we possess inside, and letting go of this idea of progress. And yeah, it was an amazing podcast. Super, super insightful. It's a bit slow to start, and just to warn, there is a few glitches in there. Um, the reception wasn't all that good, but bear through it. It is an amazing episode, and uh, yeah, let me know your thoughts. Peace. All right, we're on. Nathan, how you doing? Good, brother. It's good, man. Thanks for joining. This is the, the Let's Get Mental podcast. We discuss everything from, I mean, in this case, men's health to uh, anxiety, depression, thriving, pretty much everything. Um, so thanks for yeah. joining. Oh, absolutely. Thanks for having me. So tell, for those who don't know, I've got a brief idea. You gave me a bit of a, a rundown before. What is it mm. that you do? What's, what's Nathan about? Mm. Right now, uh, I work primarily with men. Uh, I'm community manager for uh, Warrior Within, mm -hmm. uh, which is a community platform and app uh, for men to get together to experience the medicine of brotherhood. Uh, I facilitate men's circles and um, uh, right, in, right at the beginning stages of, of guiding men through a 12-week uh, course, which we call the Warrior's Way. Uh, which follows the arc of the hero's journey and um, uh, is very much a, an in, um, a process of initiation. So, uh, yeah, um, uh, besides from that, I'm a storyteller uh, and use myth, uh, ancient stories, indigenous wisdom, uh, shamanism, and uh, um, lots of other modalities that I've learned over the years to uh, to provide someone uh, a place where they can um, show up truly as, as they are and, and, and to feel what that feels like uh, to be fully and totally accept it, accepting of, of all that they are. Mm. Yeah, that's a bit of a summary about what I do right now. Yeah. So what's interested me most about what you've said there is, so you facilitate a place where people can, can make a shift, can, can change, can, I guess, be them best selves. Is that, is that what you're saying? Uh, yes. Um, uh, yeah, you use some words I didn't use. So I, I guess, so best self, I would probably we need to talk more about but that's probably yeah, i probably wouldn't describe it that way mm -hmm. um i would say more um stripping back all of all of those concepts uh of of the need to be better uh which Coming is very prevalent out. okay all right yeah yeah and 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 then i would have to talk about the word becoming um and uh we, we might have to look at that word uh uh, maybe say something more like uh, forgetting, mm -hmm. forgetting uh, all of 
the, the things that, that they aren't, mm-hmm. that they have come to believe that they are, all of the layers um, of conditioning and, and layers of, of societal um, and belief structures uh, and, accum- and, and accumulated uh, things in life, roles, identities, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, that that really aren't uh, the self, uh, and uh, allowing a space for those things to fall away uh, to reveal what has always been there. Uh, yeah, that's what I would say. <laughs> that's that's a huge distinction because I feel there's kind of two camps, if you were to put it into words. There's the personal development route traditionally, whereas you are here and you have to aim towards this point here. And what that means is you have to read these books mm-hmm. and you have to you have to change who you are to become a certain person. And then there's the other side, which is is what I, I lean more towards as well. But just on the stuff that I've read and the stuff that I've listened to, those words came out, which was becoming your best self. But this other side is that you are you are already enough as you are at your core, but you've been told your life and through your journey and through the things that you've been through that you're not, you know, schools told you, you need to be intelligent. You need to be industrious. You need to be all these things. And what it sounds like what you do and correct me if I'm wrong here is you said this before you strip away the layers and you bring someone to their true selves. You help them realize real eyes through real eyes who they really are. Yeah, absolutely. Um, strip back. Strip back uh, would be another kind of phrase I, I would look at and, and dive into as well, mm-hmm. because um, stripping back, uh, uh, yeah, it's getting closer to, 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 to what we're talking about here. And it is uh, the opposite to a lot of the personal development and coaching world, which I came from, you know, I was very deeply, you know, as I went on journey to change my own life, um, you know, which for me started in the, in the realm of physical transformation. When I was uh, 18 years old, I was 250 kilos and graduating high school, uh, looking out into my future and really seeing nothing at all but uh, pain, uh, more discomfort, and um, and uh, and darkness, uh, and and pretty much coming to the, the place where I was okay with that. Um, uh, and so, so going on that journey to change all of that, I I found myself moving into personal training, uh, and then from there into emotional work and then into personal development, Tony Robbins, very heavily into the Tony Robbins world um, and learned NLP uh, and yeah, kind of continued down that path and found the more that I was doing, I I may have been accomplishing more, uh, making more money, um, reaching you know, goals and achievements, but feeling uh, uh, unfulfilled, unfulfilled and uh, shaky. And so 
this latest movement away from personal development uh, is the opposite direction. Um, instead of reaching upwards, oh, and, and, and not to mention diving into the spirituality world and the conscious community, uh, and just having, being able to see from the inside uh, a lot of bypassing and a lot of reframing <laughs> to not feel the feelings, but instead to try and figure out the feelings and shift them in some way, change your state, so to speak. Uh, do and some incantations. So this movement here, do some incantations, uh, do some priming, and get yourself into a state. You know, there, there would be a time where I would have would have jumped around uh, for five minutes before you called Same. to go on a podcast. Same. Uh, and yet here I am sitting in a cave um, uh, uh, and, and what that really is, is an exploration of the darkness, uh, the opposite direction. So uh, this ascension addiction that we have, which is an addiction to reaching upwards towards the light, uh, enlightenment, so to speak, um, love and light uh, creates a, a shadow, you know, creates a shadow uh, that, that is unacknowledged. And, uh, I, and so this work that I've shifted into is, is changing that direction from uh, we like to call it like personal development world is, is very horizontal. So it's like looking out at the world and, and what do I need to do to accomplish this, achieve that, you know, get a promotion, get the woman that I want, have a family, be successful. The move into spirituality seems to be a shift uh, up into the vertical direction and looking upwards uh, to rise up above the emotions um, and go meditate in a cave somewhere uh, this movement is the movement after that which is to go down and that uh, need to continually grow exponentially grow uh, and accumulate is not where the gold is found particularly for men and so men are finding themselves in real trouble because they're not looking in the right place and where the gold is found for men is in their wound. Now, this is not my stuff. This is the roots of, of this work that I do is the mythopoetic. The mythopoetic uh, men's movement was, was started in the late eighties, early nineties by a, a guy named Robert Bly um, along with uh, storyteller, um, uh, incredible storyteller, Michael Mead uh, and Jungian psychologist, James Hillman. So uh, these, these three guys uh, um, were part of the Minnesota Men's Conference, uh, which introduced this uh, mythopoetic, introducing these poetry um, to help men to tap into uh, their wound, right? 
to go down into the wound and discover the grief, the unacknowledged grief that lies right down there in the bottom at this place uh, that is very difficult to get to because it's painful to go down the layers and keep going down uh, the well, so to speak, all the way to the very bottom. Uh, it's a very difficult process. It's very scary. And we are just so attuned to <clears throat> ringing the bell, so to speak, uh, when it gets uncomfortable and pulling ourselves out with distractions, with work, with relationship, with family, uh, with uh, exercise, with drugs and alcohol, uh, and, and, and limitless other distractions, personal development, spirituality, uh, distractions from, from actually going in and down into the darkness. And uh, myth and mythology uh, provides the map uh, of how to access those spaces. And it's all wrapped up in the story, stories that have been told since the beginning of time uh, that contain all of the medicine from every person who's ever told the story, every generation that it's been passed down, all the cultures it's moved through. And they contain so much wisdom, all wrapped up in a very easily um, metabolized, easily consumed form, which is the form of the story. And so uh, I, I have discovered this brand new uh, way of, of, of working with people that doesn't actually require any coaching, so to speak, or you know, and me to do anything other than transmit uh, a story. Um, yeah. Mm. Wow, man. I um, as you were saying that, what came up for me was a, a quote by by Carl Jung, and he says that in order for your branches to reach high up into the sky, your roots need to reach deep into hell. And I'm paraphrasing there. I don't know if those exact mm. words, but the premise of that and what that means to me, my interpretation, is that you can't reach heaven, which is the bliss and the the groundedness that the emotions we consider as positive until you do that deep inner work, which is dark and wounding and it hurts. It's painful, but a necessary process. So I think that's so important, the stuff that you're doing. And I feel a lot of the work that people do is in a direction that's one dimensional. Like you said, it goes this way. It goes, uh, what was the word horizontal instead of vertical. So, as humans, we often miss this part, you know, we miss the, the ascension and the dissension at the same time, right? You can obviously go this way a bit and go left and right and understand there's things to learn there. Personal development has its positives. Mm. It doesn't go to the depth that I think it needs to, to make uh, lasting change. Um, and with the myth included, that just mm. blew my mind. The idea that there's, and this is my interpretation again, you can correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong here, but the the tools of change have already been laid out in front of us it's like they're, they're weapons of change you know you've got your sword here your dagger they've all been made already you don't need to reinvent the wheel and that's what myths are they're stories from the past mm -hmm. of the people that have tried to do the same thing we're doing now that have written a whole story out or explained a whole whole uh scenario for us to work through is is that accurate is that what we're talking about when we we say myth in that in the agent of change yeah uh, uh yes it, it's a it's a map um it's a map that's been passed down uh, through generations and, and 
uh, for men uh, contains all that's that's necessary for initiation um, to yeah and what it really does is allow you to f allow you to find yourself in the myth when you're hearing it so it what's the power of finding yourself in the myth well it, it allows you to look at your life not from the narrow perspective of this is my life and this is what i'm going through and how do i get out of this but to understand that you're not so unique that that stories have been told about what you're going through uh, for a long, long time, and that's helpful to know when you are when you find yourself in the um, in really dark places. You know, perhaps when all of the uh, and I like what you said there uh, with the, with the roots. Um, because what happens when you try and grow? when you don't have a solid foundation, when you don't have grounding, well, we see it all the time. Uh, in myth, uh, Robert Bly would, would call this the swan boy. Um, and uh, there are entire myths that, that talk about what happens when uh, you ascend uh, without doing the, the decent work. Uh, and it can be quite dangerous because the higher you, the higher you go, uh, the more you build on top of that shaky foundation, uh, eventually it's going to collapse. And what happens for a man uh, when that collapse comes is they might find their relationship fall apart, their career fall apart, their health fall apart, or some, some other, let's call it a, catastrophe um, or crisis that causes a plunge into um, the darkness, so to speak. And when you have no map for that or no reference point and you find yourself in that space, um, it can be incredibly disorienting um, and painful with a lot of suffering because you don't know where you are, don't know how you got there, don't know how to get out, don't know how long you're going to be down there for. And what myth does is actually tell the entire story about why it's necessary to go down, why it's inevitable to go down, and how to find the gold while you're down there, and then what happens, uh, how, to, how to come out, and, and then how to hold on to the gold and how to share the gold which is the entire uh, journey. So it's bringing consciousness, it's bringing awareness to the place that you're, you're in uh, mythologically. So you can zoom out from your own life and say, well, you know, this isn't just about my life. Uh, this is life continues long, has, was going before I was here and will continue going long after I'm here. And myth addresses um, that larger story. So to find yourself in that larger story uh, gives incredible context to, for instance, what's happening in the world at the moment. 
Um, so it tr you, the more you listen to myth and learn how to listen to myth, the more you train your mythic imagination. And we start to realize how important imagination is and that a lot of people uh, have lost the ability to imagine and are cutting themselves off from the invisible world um, where... Because we're rewarded for being so, left-brained, for being logical. Okay, right. Right, for, for operating in this ordinary world, mm. you know, going to the job, the family... Um, and so what, what myth teaches is it teaches about sacred space. It teaches about eldership. It teaches uh, about what it means to, why it's so important to have sacred spaces. And when we look around, we realize that there is a severe lack of sacred space. Uh, and, and what does that mean? Well, without sacred space, there are no beginnings and no endings. Um, so what is sacred space? Just, just so I understand. Do you mean mm. a place for men to become men from boys to men? Or do you mean physical location? Sacred space is necessary for that movement from boyhood to manhood. Um, but it's not talking about a specific location. It's, it's, uh, it's talking about the creation of a container. The holding of a container uh, that um, that is required for, for transformation. And so um, what's required to create sacred space is an elder. Uh, and the role of an elder is to have one foot in the ordinary world and one foot in the non-ordinary world. Um, shamans, the, the, the same way, right? So it's about operating and living in this world while also having attuning your eye so to speak to the non-ordinary world uh, the invisible world so that you can begin to excavate internally to open up space inside uh, where you can cultivate and hold sacred space um, and it's that sacred space that provides ceremony and brings um, endings to facilitate beginnings, right? So it's a very close relationship with death uh, to understand that it's death that death that feeds life, and that death is necessary for life. So attuning to those cycles uh, and understanding that even my own death is required. That in fact, dying may be uh, my purpose because uh, no life can come without death. Um, so, yeah, thank you for these questions. I'm, I'm, I'm really having to 
explore as I as, as I speak and as I answer. Um, uh, yeah. Did, did did that answer your question? There was, I think, there was a probably a few ways you could answer that. So for sure, I mean, there's there's no right or wrong way. Um, I think that with all the stuff that you said, there's it's it's doing the same thing to me. It's bringing up a lot of questions in my mind on on on, on where to go to as far as it goes with you know just life in general. When you think about myth, and you just said death, then as well, people at the moment in science, right? They're trying to remove death, right? They're trying to become mm. immortal, as they say. Not immortal because you still might die from a brick falling on your head or, you know, something falling on you or someone killing you, but amortal as in you don't die from natural causes typically known to men or to men, I should say. What is the, you know, you, you mentioned, you mentioned some of the stuff on, on how it's natural to die and it's a part of the cycle of life in my own words, but what is, what is the downside on a societal level if everyone starts living forever? Hmm. Yeah, it's a beautiful question. Well, I think I, I, I think we're living part of the consequence of that attempt. Uh, when we look around at what's what's happening at the moment, um, yeah, we really look at it. You know, we've got uh, in in most parts of Australia, we, we, we've got lockdowns. Where I am in Sydney, the lockdowns uh, and restrictions are getting. Uh, um, are getting tighter and tighter. Wow. And all in an attempt to what? To to prevent, yeah, at the end of the day, to prevent death. Right, but, but for how long? Um, we, we live in death avoidant culture. We, we, we don't know uh, how to deal, how to handle death. And because we're so disconnected from myth, and, and mythological thinking, we can't. It, it, it seems to be uh, that death is bad and to be avoided. Uh, and what that means is that we miss out on the richness uh, of death, and and not just the, the the one death, the one physical death that you get the opportunity to experience in your life, um, but the many many deaths that are required um, <clears throat> throughout your life. <clears throat> And it comes back to sacred space. Sacred space provides uh, <clears throat> the ability to die. <clears throat> um, so what happens to a culture that, that is death avoidant? Well, at some level, we have forgotten how to grieve. We're so fearful of grieving and grief that we... Uh, attempt to cut off one entire half of who we are. So we ostracize or shun. Uh, in, in, in myth, we might call it something like the, the wild twin. There's an old mythological idea that on the day that you were born, uh, a wild twin was born with you and tossed out the window. And um, uh, in, in one of my favorite myths, the Lindworm myth, it's quite literally a worm, a little black worm thrown up into the, into the cold and dark forest.
while the young boy grows up into off to find himself a, a bride, he in the forest runs into an enormous serpent, snarling serpent um, with fangs, uh, demanding to be married. And that's the meeting of that wild twin, you know, the unacceptable wild parts of ourselves that uh, we've been taught um, uh, are not acceptable. Um, so when you've got a wild twin out in the forest and it's been out there getting angrier and angrier and, and stronger and stronger and growing bigger, it is a, a, a dark force in your life that, that, that's unacknowledged while we try and be this domesticated good boy, uh, nice guy and try and get through life doing all the right things, accumulating. Meanwhile, the wild twins out there and it's just getting ready to tear your life apart, right? Because it's demanding to be acknowledged. It's demanding to be, to be loved. And it's saying like, look at me, acknowledge me, uh, let me in. And, 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 and by not accepting that darkness, by not, by forgetting how to die, and forgetting how to grieve, we're not allowing space for that wild twin to come and sit at our table. Um, and what are we missing out on then? Well, we're, we're essentially half people. And so what we see in this world now is a lot of half men, half men who are little boys in men's bodies who are destroying the earth destroying the earth with, with greed and self-centeredness and narcissism. And so they're, un, they're, they're half, they're not whole, they're not integrated. In order to integrate, you must, you must look into the shadow. You must, you must, as Martin Shaw, another great mythologist would say, is, is to court the wild twin. Because in that story, what happens then is uh, the king goes out to invite the the serpent back into the castle so that they can find find the serpent a wife. And so that's what the process of looking at death is, is, is you know, looking in that half, uh, that unacknowledged half into the darkness, into the shadow, and bringing it in and, and, and accepting it. Um, mm. Wow, man, you've blown my mind. That's incredible. I um, mm. I think that, you know, at this present mm. time, when we look at the world, and I'll, I'll be frank with you, just before I got on this, this call with you on this Zoom, on this, on this um, talk, I was discussing with someone. So there's, again, there's, there seems to be two different sides to the story. There's the the pro uh, pro government, pro follow the rules, pro just do what they say, and then the anti for the rules, anti don't do what they say. You know, freedoms and all this kind of stuff. And look, the the, the specifics of it, the numbers, whatever. You we don't need to go into that now. The point I'm trying to make is that there's two sides of it, and this these two sides are at odds with each other. And I had a conversation before. I'm like, mm. and I'm kind of in the middle. I'm like, I understand both sides. I get it. I really do. And I, I've been really pondering on it, really thinking about it deeply. Like, you know, what is, what am I, if I'm going to fight, what am I fighting for? If I'm not going to fight, you know, what am I not fighting for? So 
then I started to question one of my friends and we had a conversation about it over text. And, and I said, you know, she was saying that there's these things going on. There's this, 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 there's more flu deaths, more this, whatever. Then I'm like, I said to him, what constitutes the highest value in the situation? Right. Cause you have, you have science, right? Science informs you of objective truths, or at least makes an attempt to do that. An attempt at least that eventually refines and gets clearer and clearer. And what, politicians do is they then take the evidence that's there hopefully um, or maybe not hopefully in some cases that's there and they try and make the best decision based on the community's values right so then my question was to come full circle what is the highest value right now that's dictating what we are doing and and you just you said it square in the face we are trying to avoid something that is as natural and as important as birth itself, which is death. So right now we're running away from something that is so natural because we're scared. And by the sounds of it, we're scared because we haven't fully experienced the death of our own waking life. Because as you mentioned there, right, there's multiple levels to, there's multiple parts of life and there's many deaths and there's, you know, Alan Watts once said uh, that he spoke to someone or someone spoke to him or, there's a story about this happening where someone's like, I, I don't want to be anymore. I want to commit suicide. And he's like, okay, go for it. And they're like, what, what do you mean? Go for it. He goes, you can, you can make a partial suicide. Just go for it. And I'm not, I'm not condoning suicide. I'm not saying it's a good or bad thing, but the point I'm making is that throughout our lives, we have many deaths that we go through and it's denial of death in the end that is making us deny the many deaths throughout our life, which is putting us in the situation, in my opinion, that we have right now. Mm. Mm. Yeah, uh, lots in there uh, that, that I would love to touch on. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> the first thing, a couple of things. The first thing I'd love to speak on is, is I'm really glad that you brought up um, the two opposing uh, polarized um, perspectives. Um, and what myth teaches us is how to sustain the tension between those two opposites. And what we see now, exactly like you said, mask, no mask, vax, no vax, um, black, white, life, death, um, Democrat or Republican, you know, yep. uh, and a real um, pressure to choose a side. And these conversations uh, can be very difficult to enter into with particular people because everybody is so, uh, everybody, because it, is, it feels so safe to pick a side. It feels necessary because the tension of the not knowing uh, is painful. You know, there's suffering there in holding the middle way or holding the middle line. 
Um, it also takes more work to be informed about both sides uh, rather than just pick a side and just join the group. The problem with, with picking a side is that it then becomes an us versus them. Yes. <clears throat> and we identify others as false and us as, as true. We have the truth, they're false, we're awake, they're sheep. Um, disintegrating, you know, even to the point of men versus women, like men and women. So <clears throat> what's required there is, is a sustaining of the tension between those two opposing views, even in the face of pressure. And when you, when you come into contact with somebody and have one of these conversations and they can't pin you down into what, what side you're on, it's very uh, disorienting for them because they can't place you and in not being able to place you cannot place themselves in relation to you. So it's not a, a simple matter of others. You actually, exactly. You you stimulate a brand new thing. And what emerges there is the third thing. You build, it's like an ability to enjoy the process. So my goal, my purpose for, for, for my life seems to be to get better at dying so that when it finally does come, I can be present and I can actually participate in this beautiful ceremony that's taking place as I transition from this to that or from this place to that place or whatever it is. And, you know, uh, I, I've done that many times in my life unconsciously and now more consciously. Um, and so the, the creation of sacred space in my everyday life perhaps when, before I eat a meal to take a moment, um, before I get in the car to drive somewhere to take a moment to set an intention, these breaks provide opportunities to, um, to let something go uh, and to create something more. Um, let something, sorry, to let something go and to, and to come back to... Uh, the present and to open up to experiencing what's there to be experienced rather than looking to find something that you think you, you need to find. Mm. Yeah, man, super powerful. And, you know, in, in Norse religion, uh, they talk about Valhalla. And when you go up to Valhalla, you arrive in the big gates and they're having a feast and they're celebrating and they're excited and they're sharing stories and laughter mm. and joy and, and death, you know, and in this, and I'm speaking for myself here, not for anyone else, but I, I, you know, there's a, there's a definitely a, a fear of dying, a fear of there being nothing afterwards for the longest time being a teenager. When I, you know, decided that I would be agnostic, I decided that, we just died in the earth and then the flesh, the flesh, the, our flesh was 
are consumed by the earth, by the roots, by the dirt and whatever, by the worms, right? And we, we go nowhere. And there's a small part of me now that maybe believes when death knocks on my door that afterwards it will be a celebration in some ways, that there will be a, a, a mystical experience, a mythological experience, if you will, mm. outside of my physical body. And mm. one of my friends who's a, uh, who believes in, in, in Christianity and follows Christianity in his own way said to me that when you die, because he, he died before, he, when he was asleep, he had an asthma attack and, and, and died uh, temporarily. Mm. And he said that when you go to the afterlife or the place or heaven, as he referred to it, you, everyone already knows who you are all the, the bad things you've done, all the good things, all the, the things in between. So, you know, these the things you keep in your mind of, of who you are and your experiences and the, the naughty little white lies that you have, that's on the outside and everyone can see it. And mm. our goal here on earth, another way to put it, is to go to the afterlife with respect in a way, right? By, by doing mm. the right thing. And so the things that you've done throughout your life are going to be there anyway. So do your best to be the, to be someone who's doing, who does the right thing. And then you'll go to the afterlife or to, to wherever you believe you go after you die with dignity and respect and, and, and to come with a clear heart. Um, and I think that was a huge distinction that changed my life about a year ago, realizing that there might be something afterwards and if there isn't, I'm happy with the idea that there might be as a way to live. You know, Jordan Peterson says that he doesn't, he doesn't live, he doesn't live as though he is a Christian. He lives as though there is a God, meaning that the mechanisms that you would live by if you believed in a higher power and afterlife, you would you would engage in those behaviors and those acts. And I think that's probably where I stand. Hmm. Is that a didgeridoo in the background? <laughs> That's beautiful. I never thought of it that way. Uh, it's like it sounds like a chainsaw. From it sounds the like a didgeridoo. Yeah, that's cool. I'm gonna I'm gonna sit with the with the sounds, the beautiful sounds of the didge. <laughs> the chainsaw didgeridoo. Oh man, um, yeah, I'm really loving this conversation uh, and, and and where we're going. And a lot of the work I did before I moved into this space was was developing a framework, um, which which was called quit or commit. And I was working with lots of people who would come to me and from this personal development space of like, okay, I want to achieve this, I want to achieve that, I want to achieve. Yes, I want to lose weight. I want to stop drinking. I want to um, uh, get over my depression or anxiety or, or whatever it was. And very, very quickly, I was starting to realize that um, these, these these people had so many things in their life that they had brought into their life and that they had committed to and that they were just choked up. They were just uh, buried under all of this external stuff that they've added, hoping to achieve and to reach something one day. I'm talking marriage, kids, pets, um, mortgage, businesses, multiple businesses, 
um, every single direct debit that's on their on their credit card, every debt that they have, um, every relationship that they have in their life, in fact, every relationship that they've ever had that hasn't been emotionally and energetically disconnected from, you know, and and when I when I saw that, a lot of people said that they had a fear of commitment, and that's why they can't achieve success. Why I saw it was, it's actually a fear of quitting. Yep. Right? And, and in my life, I have quit almost, I would say almost everything, almost everything I've ever started. And the things I haven't quit are simply the things I haven't quit yet. Eventually, I'm going to have to quit even my life, right? Right? Wow. You know? so, so when I looked at that, I realized that I was so ashamed of, of quitting and I thought of myself as a quitter. So when I would see these personal development ads talking about, you know, the entrepreneurs who would say, you know, winners never quit, quitters never win, yes. don't quit, never quit, hustle, grind, do the things today that others won't do tomorrow so you can have tomorrow what others don't have today. Yeah, yeah, Grant Cardone, Gary V. All of these guys listening to that never made me feel motivated or inspired made me feel like shit because i was like oh who are these people doing these things i'm i'm not that you gotta hustle bro. you gave up already you gotta hustle exactly you gotta hustle so so what i realized as i brought again accepting bringing the wild twin was an acceptance of me myself as a quitter to say yes i've quit a lot of things in my life and i'm very good at quitting that's a valuable skill to have huge so when i started looking around i was talking to people who were so afraid of quitting that they couldn't let go of anything in their life and it was just accumulating 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 and what happens burnout diagnosis illness crash collapse all because everything that they've added into their lives is still there. Uh, and so what I've started to realize is as I, as I shifted the ideas of quitting and committing was that for most people, there's two or three things low hanging fruit right now in their lives that they could quit, let go of emotionally, energetically, or practically uh, and experience uh, a deeper breath, more space. Mm. And then um, notice uh, when the habitual, the 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 habitual habitual pattern. I was going to say when the habit shows up. That what am I trying to say here? Uh, when the space is created by letting go of something or quitting something. How can you maintain the space instead of allowing uh, more to rush in to fill the gap, which is what happens, right? So I realized that there was, there was a way to quit that was effective and a way to quit that was not effective. And if you quit things from, say, resentment, anger, frustration, um, discontent, then that creates a void. And that vacuum, it will be filled by the very next thing. 
you quit a job because you're being bullied and you hate the place and you just have to get out and you just quit on the spot and you throw yourself into a position where you're not making any money and you're stressing out, then you're going to take the very next thing that comes your way and it's going to be worse when it comes from that place. So you never actually, you know, because you haven't, you didn't stick with it for long enough to look so that you can quit uh, in a way that opens space and uh, where you can then invite something new in uh, from, from that place. So, you, so you're quitting, but with gratitude, with compassion, uh, with acceptance. Uh, and uh, and so, so when I worked on that for all those years, I realized what I was actually doing was, was talking about death. The Everything was what we have in our life to train for death by bringing acceptance to our own propensities for failure, for quitting, uh, for, for, for dark behavior, for everything and anything, any behavior that we do, you know, and not shaming any of it, but accepting it all, accepting all of ourselves and all of the shitty things we've done, like you said, and not actually attempting to live in a right way in order to reach a certain thing after death, but understanding that we're in it right now. So we create heaven or hell right now as we live it. Um, um, and, and that we will return to eternal light, the same place we came from and all knowing um, we came down here and now we're here to experience ignorance, <laughs> to experience this, this human life, this animal life. You know, uh, uh, James Hillman uh, talks about growing down instead of growing up. Growing down. Growing down into this body. Growing down into this earth. Growing down into uh, this ego. Trying to Get rid of the ego. Um, so we have the opportunity and it's only a flash. It's only a flash that we get here before we return to all knowing, right? So what are we really going to spend our entire flash? The one opportunity we have to experience the ignorance of this beautiful life and try and solve, solve it? By going on a seeking journey to try and understand the mystery, to solve the mystery. I don't want to solve the mystery anymore. I've given up on trying to figure it out because that's the magic. And so now I feel like I'm a defender of the mystery. I would defend the mystery against uh, the attempts to solve it, cultivate mystery um, in the way that I live uh, rather than than constantly trying to, to, to figure it all out. Uh, yeah. There's a recurring theme in what you're saying and that, that keeps coming back to the same thing, which is duality and the, the side of us that we aren't acknowledging, right? So cultivating the idea of a mystery uh, or, or, or defending the, the, the mystery and not knowing it comes with the other side as well. 
it's the same thing with emotions, right? We, we often believe that, you know, someone who's angry and does something stupid towards us, that they're a bad person. But the truth of the matter is, is that remember two years ago or six months ago or last week when you were the same person, remember Mm -hmm. when you did the same thing just yesterday, that person is jealous and it makes you feel uncomfortable or whatever. Remember you did that two Mm -hmm. years ago. It's like recognizing not only that there are mysteries, but that there is a truth to reality, which mm. is that you are everything and everything is you and that you can't run away from being human because that's the condition that you're in right now. Mm. So these ideas and these concepts of an ego of who you think you are mm. are null and void because all the things that you think that you are exist just in a mind that you've made up that you want to believe you are those things because it's convenient for you and it feels nice and it feels good. The truth is you're all those things. Mm. You've been everything. And this is this is my this is my practice for forgiveness, right? If someone peeves me or pisses me off, which again everyone gets that. I don't care how enlightened you are or how how much you've got it figured out. Everyone gets pissed off. <laughs> even though Dilalam will get pissed off, even Eckhart Tolle, I assume, maybe not. Yeah, what, totally. what I what, yeah, totally. what I do is I'll go through a process of if that person is you know they blow up at me or they angry at me, it's like okay, I have my own inner boundaries, my own boundaries of like don't do that to me. But that that charge of that person did something wrong to me, it's like, when have I done that to someone else? And sometimes mm. it'd be straight away. Sometimes it'd be, you know, five years ago, I did this or five years ago, I did that. It's like, well, you did that. That expression of the thing that you don't like is you. Mm. So do you actually not like yourself? Because mm. that was you. And, that is, and that's exactly this idea of accepting the sides of you, the light and the dark, the, the, the lower and the upper is that all the things that you think that you aren't are actually you. And the moment that you realize that you are those things is the moment you experience peace. Mm. 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 And that, 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 and that's the beginning footsteps towards compassion. Because the moment you can see yourself in another, um, then uh, compassion follows. And, and it's compassion for another but really, it's self-compassion, compassion for self. Yep. Um, I really dig that. Yeah, I really dig that. Uh, and, and, you know, to that as well, um, myth, there are characters in events. So at any moment, um, when there's suffering or when there's uh, stuckness, perhaps, when we learn how to listen to myth, we simply realize that all we need to do is to see through the eyes of another character. Right? Like there's this nice, there's this saying that, that says, try, try seeing through the eyes of the monster. You know, I told you that myth, uh, the, 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 a little bit of the Lindworm myth. There's a monster out there in the forest and it's scary to confront, but but what if you saw through the eyes of the, of the monster and you were cast out and shunned and had to learn to protect and survive out there? Um, and you, um, what would that be like? And so it's in the ability to, to learn how to listen to myth that we have the opportunity to shift timelines and to shift um, perspectives uh, to realize that, that it's all happening inside us all at once. And we are, we are everybody 
and we're all characters and we're at all stages of the hero's journey all at once. Um, yeah, this is what shamans do. Uh, they work with time uh, and sham shamanism and myth, and myth uh, are very closely related. That's what we're, that's what we're learning and discovering. Yeah, and to add to what you're saying, I think the moment you realize that if you were the person that you're blatantly pointing your finger at saying that they're bad, if you had their life, you would be the same, maybe worse, maybe a little bit better, but you'd be very similar. And we often try to make other people wrong because it's convenient. But what, what is more difficult, it appears, yeah. is to think it through. That's right. And to, totally. and to be like, well, if I just sit with this for five minutes and think about being that person, like what, what's it like, like to be Adolf Hitler? That's a tough one. What, what would it be like to be Stalin? What would, it like to, what would it be like to be the devil, to be God? All these parts of us, you know, we think that we're so far away from them. I'm a good person. I did this. I did that. But you're also a very dark person as well. And it's not bad. It's not good or bad. It just is what it is. And it's about acknowledging that. Yeah. Yeah, we have all of it. Uh, and you're right. It, when yeah, Jordan Peterson um, talks about uh, the, he, he says, be a monster, right? Like, like be a monster that has it under conscious control. And yeah. I've heard it put in many different ways. They're the dangerous ones, the ones that have unacknowledged darkness, the ones who are standing and fighting uh, against <laughs> evil, right? They're the scary ones. Whereas for me, it's been a process of, of bringing in and accepting my own personal darkness, my own monster that I know is there, you know, my, my propensity for manipulation, to use my words and my voice to manipulate. You know, I learned that skill uh, in an attempt to make sure everybody liked me all the time. And so I developed an incredible kind of ability to relate to people, charisma, uh, and, and ability to make people want to help me and do things for me. And so that's still there. I mean, that's a skill that I've developed very, very diligently over many years manipulative person doesn't mean that i don't have all the skills and and that um and so by bringing awareness to that and catching myself and being present with it and owning it allows me to um, use those skills um uh to help you know to uh to yeah uh, yeah so and, and that's another thing with the love and light community the conscious community there's a creepiness about it yes it's like it's like the sewers are blocked <laughs> so everything looks great but there's a smell it's like wait there's there's something being hidden here well there's flickering uh, in the grass right so it's creepy and so uh, you can tell when someone's hiding something, someone's being creepy. And you can tell when someone has integrated their monster 
and it's present with them. Yeah, yeah. This is great, man. This is this is. Uh, I'm loving this. Uh, I'm loving the questions, uh, and uh, I can really feel, you know, uh, how much you've done into this. So it's, it's really great to have this conversation. Yeah, man. Well, I, you know, typically you don't have a choice, um, and I, I mean, just for me, I haven't had the choice to to not go into this. There's a few elements to it for me. I've always been interested. You know, the an interesting person is uh interesting you know that they they mm. engage in things and this is what i do i i then also i never had a choice you know I, I went through a pretty hard up you know mental upbringing not physical surroundings but mentally in my mind and you know the last nine months to 12 months of my life i've gone through hell like it's just been mm. up and down and just all over the place and you know i feel these things happen and you can, and you know what the interpretation is mine to choose. In my opinion, I can see this as something to be uh, something that is it's happening to me. Like I'm a victim to this or the other side, which is that this is destined to happen to me because I need to go through this. And what I'm referring to Nathan specifically is, you know, my issues with sleep, my, my issues in my, my last relationship, they all happen at the same time with my job, with my mates leaving uh, Sydney, like all this happened at the same friggin' time right so i had a choice you know i had a choice to uh step away and 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 see it as something that is happening to me or step in and see it as something that's happening for me and that's something that terowins say says and i think it's awesome so but enough about me man i i like i just i just love these conversations and i i love all different parts of humans and all different parts that we show up it's you know, I see so much of, of you inside of me in the way that you, uh, the way that you see the world and the way that you do things. And then, you know, I speak to someone else. And I'm like, wow, I see things very similar to them as well. So mm. I think that comes with going deep inside of yourself and acknowledging all the parts of who you are. You start to realize and see everyone inside of you, every single part of every single person in, in the world has something inside of you, you know, like sitting here in this, in lockdown at the moment like we're both in sydney right and i'm occasionally i go downstairs and i see on the tv on the news right it's like don't watch the news it fascinates me it's exciting mm. you know why is people doing what they're doing why is uh, i don't know her name properly gladys gladysburg or gladdy or whatever her name is the new south wales premier mm. why is she doing what she's doing you know what's going on in her life you know as a, as a kid as a child sitting in the shopping center with my dad and my sister watching people walk past where are they going what are they feeling right now who are they what's going on in their home what's going on in their minds same thing now it's just always this curiosity and i think that you have the same thing as well absolutely uh, and it's been a journey to bring acceptance to that as well you know um uh, uh one thing i heard that stuck with me very strongly was uh fall in love with the questions uh, without the need to have answers but live the questions and so i feel like i've been living the questions um can i just add to that quickly i don't know yeah so not just not just not wanting the answers but also maybe this is what you're saying but inside that using your imagination right like i the the question of what's going on for them what what's going on for them i don't want the answer i want to imagine what's happening for them i want to to, to create a story in my mind and, and explore 
that's my version of imagination. And, and that's the mystery. Yeah. That's the tension, mm. you know, to, to let go of the need to know the truth, the need for the answer, the need to figure it out, but instead live the mystery of the question. Yes. You know, um, and, and the imagination, I think, is a huge, huge part of it. You know, people always called me a dreamer. And uh, I took offense to that until I realized that, yes, actually, I am a dreamer. And, uh, uh, and I'm glad of that. Um, and, uh, uh, yeah, to, to, to look at stories and create stories and knowing that even the stories that we create uh, are just other stories that we actually will never know and cannot know. Um, and, and to touch on that, you know, life, you know, life is not happening to me. It's happening for me. Um, <laughs> uh, I might throw something in there that will maybe cause you to think. <laughs> um, both of those things are stories and both of those things are opposites, right? Um, neither is true and neither is false. Right. What's, you know, what's the middle way between those two things? Because if you think this is all happening to me, uh, you're at, uh, in NLP, what they would call like, uh, uh, effect, you know, uh, you are at the effect of what's happening victim and to switch that to go to cause, which is that I'm the cause of, of, of everything. And so that you create the stories that you want to see for the things that are happening. And one of those is, this is all happening for me, mm. but it's just another story. Of There's actually a third way that emerges in between that. And it's quite simply, it's not happening to me. It's not happening for me. It's just happening. It's just happening. And it's happening with or without me. And I'm not holding anything up here by being here. And so the way I try and walk through my life now is as a witness, witness to watch what's happening, to watch the people, um, but to do that without the need to impact or to be there. So when I walk down the street, I'm watching to see and, 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 and holding that this is all happening without me, without my presence. Um, uh, and what would, what would be happening if I wasn't here kind of thing? Uh, so I guess with that approach, it's, it's kind of like curiosity. I'm curious to see what's happening in this world. I'm curious to see where this is all going to go. I'm excited. You know, there's lots of really cool stories out there about what's happening and what's potentially happening. Mm. And a lot of them can be very scary. Uh, but I'm, but I'm still excited. I'm still excited to see. And if we happen to be living at this very moment where the end of the world is close enough for us to experience it in our lifetime or the end of humanity as we know it, like let's cook some popcorn, let's go to some front row seats and let's witness. Right? Hmm. So on those, on the, just jumping back to the, it's happening to me, it's happening for me, and then it's just happening. What about instead of just one of those, it's all three and that we have the power to choose flexibly what we want to believe because that's the nature of reality itself. It's that you create your perceptions on the, you know, and you could say this is NLP and personal development side speaking of me, but 
what if it's all three right and and what if what is most appropriate at that time is it's happening for me as an empowering way to get through something you know i, I feel like so there's there's layers of reality that you can choose to believe that you want to believe because it's most appropriate for you mm. now i also believe that it's just happening is also one of those i think that mm. stands side by side with it's happening to me and it's happening for me it's the same thing but it mm. just it, it sounds a lot more accepting but it's still mm. the same thing because it's finger it's it's the words pointing to the it's the finger of the words pointing to the moon you know the moon mm. The finger pointing to them. Sorry, let me rephrase that. The finger pointing to the moon isn't the moon itself. The moon is the moon. The finger is the finger. Mm. So I feel like those three different concepts making, you know, it happens for me. It's happening and it happens to me. Is just the same side. It's just, it's the same. It's all the same coin. It's a three mm. it's a three-sided coin, if you will. And I feel mm. like we can choose to take on what belief we want, because ultimately the beliefs that we have. When we stick to one, it doesn't matter anyway because it's the it's the same thing in the end. Mm. Yes. Yes. We do have the ability to to choose what what story we are living in. Totally. Uh, which which is is why it's so important to uh, deepen your foundation for where your stories come from because if you're if you're living the stories that are created just from your life and your own personal experience it's very limiting which is why we reach back into the roots of myth because it provides a deeper framework a deeper root system uh, that we can uh, ground into that's much bigger much longer than our own personal lives um, which gives us a story that we can that we can uh, trust and, and to hold on to um, so yeah absolutely um, totally yeah I feel that I would add to that as well you know I think curiosity is a powerful thing but so is adaptability and flexibility right but but with one caveat which is awareness so you have curiosity, adaptability, and I guess you could say flexibility put into one. But if you don't have awareness around those things that you're doing those things, that destroys the whole thing. You can choose to be curious if you want to, but as long as you're aware that you're choosing that, it's like a micro-awareness, a meta-awareness, they call it in spirituality. Mm. So I think that's that's a huge thing to, to, to um, be able to do. And yeah, yeah, I think approaches are flexible and you know the the idea of mythology and this is just again my opinion and i'm happy to be content on this mythology is another mythology in of itself and you can go for you can go for eons for this like well this is this and this is this these are all parts of reality that we're choosing to point our attention at because it serves what we want to see in the world right and i feel like it's the same with what i'm saying right now having this like, I don't know, kind of lackadaisical approach. Like I'm here just looking at the world the way I want to see it is my choice of reality that I want to, to focus on and focus in on. Um, so I think it's really important to acknowledge that we as humans are choosing the things that we want to choose because that's what we like to choose because it fits our narrative of the world. Mm. And also at the same time, we can choose our narrative 
if we so wish to, and if we want to adjust the way we're seeing things, but only with awareness. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Beautiful there, man. Mm. Yeah. Mm. We covered a lot. We have, man. We have. So about this time, I like to get some sun and uh, get into the the uh, little creek we have behind here, behind my house. So I think yes. we'll wrap it up, wrap it up, bro. Um, but before we leave, okay. I do have one or two more questions. And that this question is when you, when you do pass away and when, you know, you quit this life, as you were saying the words before, what's one message or one thing or one feeling or how you want to put it that you'd leave by on this, on this earth? sit here for a half an hour or so while while something comes to me this is a this is a big question um uh and asked in a way that that, that feels difficult to answer um Honestly, I think the birds are doing a better job than I am and that I could ever do to answer that question. That's fair enough. That suffices. There's no, no right or wrong answer, right? Um, I was thinking about what my answer would be and it's, I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. Yeah. There's so many versions, yeah. of that. you know, 10 years in the future, I would say something different. You know, a year ago, I would have said something different. You know, tomorrow I would have said something different. So I think it's all relative, right? But um, yeah, yeah, man. Well, thanks, thanks for having this call, man. This was awesome. It was epic. I learned so much. And um, yeah. yeah. Anything else you'd like to share? No. Thank you, brother.